nice to meet you. We're all glad you came. Won't you try and remember our name? Welcome, Sharks fans, to Blood, Sweat, and Teal. And you're hearing me first, which means that we have uh, a special episode. Uh, as always, I'm Kyle, and I'm with... C. <laughs> and today, uh, we are very honored to have the voice of the San Jose Sharks. Uh, you can find him on the radio uh, for every Sharks game, Dan Rusinowski. How's it going, Dan? Fantastic. Just great to be with you. <laughs> awesome, awesome. So we'll jump right into it, I, I guess. And... Um, the main reason uh, you're here, not only because we think you're awesome and stuff, but you have uh, a new book coming out. Uh, it's already out, actually. So uh, the, these walls could talk. And um, what was your experience writing this book, especially you had a co-author with Ross? Uh, what, what was your experience putting this all together, uh, just as an overview of the, of the experience? Well, I, I describe it as a sort of a delightful journey down memory lane, really, as, uh, you know, all these years I've taken some notes and have these specific memories of great, uh, great times in Sharks history. But of course, the memory as the years go on uh, fades a little bit. So it's nice to go back and take a look at some of that, uh, maybe revisit and review some of the old stories and tell some new ones and certainly ones that Sharks fans haven't uh, seen or heard before. And I, I think that that was a, a great process. Ross and I would, would uh, and I'm speaking, of course, about my co-author, Ross McEwen, who has covered the Sharks since the very first year of their existence as well. Um, we put together a, a schedule where we would speak every night at 9 o'clock, 9 o'clock Pacific <laughs> time, he'd call me up, and we would just talk about a, a variety of topics. And uh, we discussed the ones that we wanted to put together in the book, and then we uh, we moved forward from there. For me, I think the chapter in particular that stood out, because you, you, know, you divide it up by the players and the coaches and the owners and a lot of that kind of stuff, but... The last chapter is a really cool story, and I think that that really speaks to kind of the the broadness of the hockey community and everything. And it's the story of Bruce Black. Do you can you tell just a little bit without giving too much away about that? But can you well, talk on that story? Well, sure. And it's the it's the chapter I think that's my favorite in the entire book. You saved the best for last, right? <laughs> um, it was just a, a, a unique series of serendipitous moments where. Uh, Bruce and I got got linked up together on a, on a flight on a Sharks road trip. And he had taken part in one of those charity auctions where we do occasionally have the opportunity to, to have a fan uh, buy a trip for two uh, on the plane with the team. And, of course, that goes for quite a bit of money to raise money for charities. And Bruce obviously was fully vetted and so forth and, uh, and, and bought this trip. And he brought his son with him. And he told me, um, you know, this trip is really special to my son and I because – I've got this strange connection to the game of hockey and I'm just sort of exploring it now. And I said, well, what's the connection? He said, well, um, I was adopted. I was born in Southern California, but my birth father played in the national hockey league and that's how it all started. And it was a long series of processes that uh, actually uh, first we thought that he was dead. Then we found <laughs> out he wasn't dead because uh, I decided to do a little extra research. Then we found out, that not only was he very much alive, but he was the, one of the most notorious figures in the history of the National <laughs> Hockey League because yeah. he was one of two players that was suspended for life for gambling on games. And then we found out that, uh, that he had this other family history that was completely separated from Bruce's uh, history uh, because obviously after this experience, he ended up marrying somebody else and having a family. So we found out that Bruce had half-brothers and sisters on both sides of his, of his, uh, his family tree that he never knew. 
And uh, the long story of it is, is over a, a many year period, I not only was able to, uh, to get him hooked up with, uh, with his birth father uh, very shortly before he died, and I also uh, was able to get him hooked up with, uh, uh, with the mother's side, and it was just something that we decided to do. Uh, it, that wasn't quite as smooth as the father's side in terms of making contact, for obvious reasons, but, um, but uh, the, the good news was he never did meet his birth mother. Um, I, don't, I don't think she was totally comfortable with it, but, uh, but after she died, really interestingly, his half-brother from his father's side, if I can keep <laughs> the story straight, his half-brother from his father's side, once they got to know each other, kept tabs on the birth mother's side, and he had no relationship to that. But uh, when she finally died, um, it was discovered that, that she had had a family and they had their names and we got in contact with them. And uh, they have since had a wonderful uh, reunion together and have met, met each other. So he's found a, a huge family that he has on both sides that obviously he never knew and never grew up with. But in the process, too, he wanted to make sure that that he thanked his real parents, the parents who adopted him. And he told them that uh, he was doing this just to find out about his history, you know, whether you have health problems that are that are hereditary or anything like that that might happen. And he was curious about about all of the background. But uh, but he also wanted to remind his parents that they were his parents and how much he appreciated and loved them. And in fact, he was told by members of his father's side of the family that it was it was best where he grew up. And, and that's part of the story. But but the whole thing about the, the notorious history of of hockey uh, back in the 1940s, people gambling on games and actually gambling on their team to lose because they made more money. Um, partly was a, it was an interesting angle to the story. And then you've got a connection too to uh, the casino era. You know, the movie Casino <laughs> with uh, yes. Robert De Niro yes. and with Joe Pesci. Well, the, the guy that was taking all the bets back then with players was one of the guys, not the one in the movie, but another casino. He was the, in quotes, entertainment director of, of the casino when he was actually ineligible to get a casino license because he was involved with organized crime. So I mean, it, it, it's an incredible story. And it's a story that's still unfolding in a happy way because Bruce has since been able to get in contact with all of these members of the family. And they all have a very nice relationship as far as we know. So that's that's really fantastic. Yeah, it's so cool. There are just like so many layers there, you know, and and for me, my mom was actually adopted and pretty similar circumstances where, you know, the baby's given up because of the whole shame surrounding um, single parenthood at the time. Right. And and so, uh, you know, personally, I felt a little bit of connection to that story, but then just how everything fell together, you know, that he just he became a shark fan because of where he happened to grow up and then to meet you and, you know, have you be able to have those contacts and, and find everything for him. That's so cool and such a unique um, experience. But I feel like anyone who's really involved in hockey, like we have those kind of stories, right. Where, you know, there are those misconnections and because hockey is just such a broad community where we can find each other like that. It's, it's just a really cool story. Well, it's a broad community, but it's also a small world, isn't it? Uh, you know, yeah. the, fact that, the fact that I could actually look up um, this player, and the player's name was Don Gallinger, by the way, if anybody wants to look him up. The reason why he was listed as dead in one book was because the author confused him with the other guy that got suspended for life who was dead. <laughs> And oh, so it was it was one of those cases of mistaken identity. And uh, it, it, it sort of carried on and got a life, uh, pardon the pun, of its own. So <laughs> I, I think that that was an interesting part of the story just to be able to uh, to do that. And it was just a, an impulse that I had in my mind. I said, what if that's a mistake? <laughs> and because I thought of that, I double checked. And because I double checked, we were able to to make the whole story unfold. 
Well, yeah. it, interesting for me, the connection uh, of that story and it stumbled upon at the end is that you ended up calling a city in Ontario that is very close to my hometown. So as soon as I saw that name pop out, I was like, wow, this is, I, I've been to that city hundreds of times in my life. So I was like, wow, this is, this is quite interesting that all the way from this little flight, all the way, it comes all the way full circle for me personally, that I know exactly where this person is. I could probably go to uh, uh, where you, you made the call and everything. So I thought that was quite interesting that it came all the way across the continent. Right, right. And that, that city, of course, is Port Colborne, Ontario, which is right near Lake Ontario, not too far really from Buffalo. Uh, Pete DeBoer, the head coach of the Sharks, is from Dunville. It's not that far from Port Colborne. And that whole area was such a big hotbed of hockey over the course of the last century. In fact, uh, Don Gallinger, the, the player we're talking about, was very close friends with Teeter Kennedy, who's one of the greatest <laughs> Maple Leafs of all time. They were very close friends, really? played hockey together and so forth. Never played in the NHL together because Gallinger was part of the Boston Bruins organization and Teeter played for the, for the Maple Leafs. But um, that's another little side angle to the, whole, uh, to the whole story, which is fascinating. Huh. And speaking of, of being, being a hotbed uh, in this area, um, that brings us to another person from, from down this way is Owen Nolan. Um, as everybody knows, that's my favorite player. And, and it's kind of interesting that, that you spend a chapter on him and you spend a chapter on other guys and you end up with 13 guys that you spend a whole chapter on. Uh, and then there's a grinders and a tough guy section stuff. What led you to those 13 guys in particular? And how did you choose which players you were going to talk about? And is there anybody that you left out that you just couldn't figure out how to get in? Oh, there's so many. You know, I think what we decided to do was just get a good cross-section of, of, of the history of the Sharks, different types of people. Um, you know, uh, we didn't really talk too much about, you know, we talked about Larionov and Makarov. That was such a, a, a seminal time in Sharks history, that first year of the playoffs and beating Detroit and going to Game 7 against Toronto. And uh, my sometime broadcast partner, Jamie Baker, part of that too, with the, with the big goal against the Red Wings in Game 7. So we wanted to cover that part of it. Uh, we also wanted to cover the time before that when the Sharks played at the Cow Palace because there were some really interesting characters that came out of that, most notably Link Gates, of course, but, but, but also people like Kelly Kissio and Doug Wilson and Perry Berezan and Dean Evason. These are all guys that got involved in the game in one way or another, either in management or in broadcasting or some other way after their careers ended. You know, Paul Fenton, general manager of the Minnesota Wild, was on that Cow Palace team. And uh, he was picked up. And I go a long way back with him because he was with me in New Haven in the American League before he got to the NHL. So oh, wow. um, it, it's it's that was an interesting uh, period in history. Then, of course, the dark years after that, when the Sharks <laughs> missed the playoffs a couple of years, had some, uh, you know, disconsol uh, disconsolate times inside their their hockey offices and made coaching changes and management changes and so forth. Um, that was a, an interesting period. And then, of course, the Dean Lombardi era. Uh, which was the building block, really, for where we are today. And then, of course, the Doug Wilson era, which uh, has transformed the Sharks into a progressive organization that uh, uh, that uh, has a great hockey team and, and, and really is building for a long-term future in San Jose. So all of those things, I, we just put them all together and try to get some of the characters, some of the interesting stories, and, and tell some of the ones that maybe the fans didn't know. Speaking of of Jamie Baker and and Paul Fenton, um, and talking about just how long you've been doing this, is it is it kind of weird to to see players transition from on the ice to then you know in these other roles with organizations across the league, even not even just with the Sharks? Well, it's it's not weird. It's it's really gratifying to see the great people that have come through the organization, and of course. 
Um, you know, that goes back even before the Sharks occurred. You see that many times. The California Golden Seals were here in the Bay Area for nine years before departing. And it's amazing to see how many different people came out of that team. It didn't have a lot of success on the ice. But look at what all these guys did later. People like Jill Malosh and Craig Patrick and Bill Torrey, who became a four-time Stanley Cup champion. All those guys came out of the Seals. And in fact, their first broadcaster was Tim Ryan, who you may know for many years doing a skiing and doing a tennis and, and all of the great uh, shows for CBS for, the, for those many years. And uh, Tim's a really good guy. And he came back for the SEALs 50th a year reunion at SAP Center when we had that uh, just, just a short time ago. So um, we've seen that through the years. But back to your question about how does it make me feel? Well, um, when I started with the Sharks, I was the same age as the older players on the team. Now they can all be my kids. So uh, that, that oh, obviously wow. has changed things around. Yeah. Um, something else that, you know, kind of speaks to, to how long you've been doing it is um, some of the, the rivalries you talk about, especially the Red Wings. For me, I'm from Michigan. So um, sometimes I felt like this book was just kind of written for me because <laughs> Because the Red Wings come up so much, and and I feel like you can't really talk about the '90s or early 2000s NHL without talking about the Red Wings. But um, you know, with the realignment and stuff, a lot of those rivalries get lost. Even kind of Dallas was on its way to being kind of this big rival, and then you know the realignment kind of changed that. So you you had kind of a proposition for for changing playoffs to make those rivalries um, kind of bigger and better. Um, do you want to speak on that maybe a little bit? Sure. I, I think that if I were to ever change anything with the Stanley Cup playoffs, it would be to reseed at, at the conference final level today. In other words, um, and, and it really comes from the fact that when the Sharks won the conference championship and went to the Stanley Cup final for the first time against Pittsburgh a couple of years ago, they received the Clarence Campbell Bowl for being the Western Conference champion. And of course, you know the tradition. You're not supposed to really touch it or celebrate too mm -hmm. much with it because that's not the trophy you're trying to earn. You're trying to earn the real trophy, which is, of course, the Stanley Cup championship. And, and I have to tell you, the Campbell Bowl is a really beautiful trophy. And we, we got to uh, utilize it and carry it around the Bay Area over the course of the summer. And we had some great moments for it. Not, not the same, obviously, as if you bring the Stanley Cup around, because that's the ultimate. But it was, it was pretty special. Yet, uh, thinking about it, I said to myself, you know, it's impossible. And, and you know, you're in, one, one of you is in Toronto, the other's in Detroit. Think about this. Right now, it's impossible for the Toronto Maple Leafs and the Montreal Canadiens to play in the Stanley Cup final. It's impossible. Right. And that's wrong. I think that's wrong. Uh, it's impossible for the San Jose Sharks and the Los Angeles Kings to play in the Stanley Cup final or the Rangers in Boston or uh, the Rangers and the Islanders or, you know, uh, the Red Wings and the Maple Leafs. They can't play in the final anymore. So right. um, I, I, I'd like to open up that possibility and continue to, to have that happen by reseeding at the end. And if you think about it, the old schedule when they had six teams, everybody played each other 14 times, seven home, seven away. You had a 70-game schedule. And then the top four at the end of all of that ended up going into uh, two rounds, the semifinal and the final. So my thought, uh, uh, you know, juxtaposed with the idea that nobody really gets too excited about the Clarence Campbell Bowl and the Prince of Wales Trophy <laughs> anyway, is to either A, retire those trophies to the, to the Hall of Fame, or B, uh, present them to the regular season champion of the conference. Um, and then when you get to that final four, reseed in the order of one playing against four in their standings total, 
And that might involve a little more travel, but it would equalize the travel, which is, of course, out west, something that we talk about all the time. The idea that, you know, we just recently had a trip where we went across what, five straight games, five different time zones. That's right. the kind yeah. of thing that <laughs> the, East, the, the East Coast teams have an advantage for that in the playoffs. And so um, it would it would sort of change it without really uh, changing the dynamic of why they stopped doing it. I don't know if you guys know this, but back up for a couple of years, one would play 16. And, you know, and, and 15 would play two, et cetera. They actually had a complete league um, set up for 16 teams. And what they found out was if the New Jersey Devils were playing the Calgary Flames in the first round, they weren't selling out games. So it was a, in part a business decision because, you know, you see that happen. If the Sharks, for instance, play Ottawa, uh, although that might have changed here in recent years, but the, historically speaking – um, you know, the, the interest level from the casual fan isn't as huge as if the Sharks are playing the Los Angeles Kings or Anaheim Ducks or Vegas Golden Knights now. So uh, I think that that regional approach is actually smart because it's the way that leagues and rivalries get built, which gets back to what we were originally talking about. And so you have those rivalries go through. But then at the end, you have that intriguing possibility of having anybody being able to play anybody in the final and restoring some of those old rivalries like Rangers Bruins. Canadians, Maple Leafs. Um, I mean, it, there's nothing wrong with doing that in the conference final, but I think that we've seen also that uh, that teams have have uh, been frustrated at times with uh, maybe the option of you know what if what if Sidney Crosby goes against Ovechkin in the final? That that's something that can't happen today. So um, I was talking to somebody about that in the league, and they said, well, how would people in the East, for instance, feel if? If, uh, you know, say San Jose was playing Los Angeles in the Stanley Cup final, you know, that they're trying to build interest throughout the country. And my response is there are more people in California than there are in Canada. <laughs> so what an opportunity you have to build a game. And if you think about it, you go back in history. The NFL became big because of some of those championships with regional rivalries, probably uh, none more important than 1958 when the Baltimore Colts played the New York Giants at Yankee Stadium and they had the first overtime game in championship history in that league. And John Unitas uh, got the uh, Baltimore Colts to the championship. And that was on national television. And you notice that, you know, when we talk about the NFL, nobody worries about uh, regional rivalries when it's the Super Bowl. Everybody's just excited about the event. People love the game and they're able to watch it regardless of whether their team is playing or not. And I think that uh, the NHL is a little bit different, but I'd say that, uh, that, the option of that happening would make a fan in New York excited to watch San Jose play L.A., would make a fan excited to see maybe Pittsburgh play Philadelphia in the Stanley Cup final. And so I, I think it would build rivalries. It would build interest. And I think it, it would be a good thing on that limited basis rather than the one versus 16 scenario that clearly doesn't work for business reasons. Right. And it, it would kind of get closer to the idea that the stanley cup final is the two best teams in the league when like any year that you know pittsburgh and um and washington are playing each other in the conference final you kind of feel like you're getting cheated of one of the best teams in the league ending up in the final you know i i, I agree well, I, think, I think it'd be an interesting yeah. system yeah you, you can't you it's nothing is going to be perfect but uh, uh uh, to use a uh, uh, to use a phrase from the founding fathers of the United States, maybe we could have a more perfect situation. Right? Yeah. 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 The uh, I think when they originally did the one versus sixteen, if you go back, the St. Louis Blues, I believe, won a division that they weren't even playing in by the one the one versus sixteen. There, there's some weird weird stuff going on, but 
Yeah. In the, in the in the book, you mentioned your dream finals matchup for San Jose uh, and dream winner is against the New York Rangers or the Montreal Canadiens. Um, New York, I'm assuming, because you are, uh, grew up a Rangers fan, I'm guessing. That's where that was the first place I saw NHL hockey it was definitely at Madison Square Garden. And in fact, I just did a little feature. I was very fortunate. Um, my uncle took me to a few games. He worked for Exxon. And Exxon, of course, being a major corporation located on, uh, a, a, you know, in Midtown Manhattan, they had season tickets to Ranger games, and so he occasionally got a couple of games to uh, uh, to to take me to. And I was about uh, ten years old. He took me to see the New York Rangers play the Pittsburgh Penguins. Not the highest uh, name on the list back in those days because they were one of the expansion teams, and it was in October. So I, I got a chance to see the to the game for the first time, and. And I, it was really a, a special experience. I, I heard a, a radio broadcast for the first time. I was introduced to all of this on that one particular night. So that's one of the reasons. You know, it, I always say that I've got a top four when it comes to cities that I visit. Which are? And so um, not in any order. It would be, for me, New York, Montreal, Chicago, and Vancouver. Those are probably oh. my top four. And I hear you say, I can hear you in the background there saying, <laughs> what about Toronto? No, nope. um, and my and my answer is my answer is because I love Toronto too. They're they're all great cities. Believe me, all the cities in the NHL are great. But um, if I want that experience, I kind of prefer New York. If you know what I'm saying. So um, they're, they're they're all great cities. But um, Montreal is a really special place to go. The atmosphere in the building is fantastic. It's a great place to call a game. Um, so those are things that kind of enter into the picture. And uh, of course, the history of the Canadians. Um, like the Maple Leafs is 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 a huge thing. So uh, that I had to pick for. I mean, Toronto is probably in my next group with Nashville and Boston and um, a lot of other great cities around the league. And by the way, speaking of Detroit, uh, with all the years of going to Joe Louis Arena and spending as much time as we did, it's been amazing to see the the renaissance that's happened there in the last couple of years with Dan Gilbert and Quicken and coming in and um, and people actually taking advantage of the fact that. Um, you know, that the market was there to purchase land and to, to get involved. We have this entrepreneurial spirit, at least starting there. And mm -hmm. I found a, a whole, you know, one of the things I love to do, one of the few things we are able to do on the road is, um, you know, we're working. It's not a vacation for us, but we're working. One of the great things we get to do is we get to explore either a museum or a restaurant uh, or a place like that when we're there. And I have to tell you, like, for instance, Detroit, uh, the art museum there is one of the greatest in the world. Um, you, oh, you know, they, yeah, have they, have an, they have an original Van Gogh there. I mean, if you love that sort of thing, it's amazing. And yet people don't expect that when you when you talk about Detroit because of the, uh, you know, the negative publicity it's gotten over the years for, you know, for the changes that have happened over there. So I, I, I'm excited about that. I love the new building, by the way, there that Little Caesars Arena is right up there with Montreal amongst my favorites to broadcast a game. So uh, certainly uh, me picking a top four like that is not a slight on any other city in the league. It's a privilege and it's great to go to all 31 of them, soon to be 32 now. And in fact, I do have a little experience of, of, of exploring Seattle a bit. So I'm excited about that opportunity, too, in a couple of years. Yeah. How do you um, like the press box in the Joe or not in the Joe Lewis? Sorry. In Little Arena. Caesars. Yeah. in Little Caesars. It's kind of it scares me. I haven't been up there yet, but I've, I've looked at it and it. I, I don't know that I could handle being up that high. <laughs> well, 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 I'm okay because at least you're in Detroit. I mean, you know, I'll, I'll give you an example. You go to Edmonton and the new building is fabulous in Edmonton, but actually I, I it's better for the broadcasters at, at the old Rexall place where they put us. 
Um, the new building has all of the accoutrement you want in terms of uh, technical stuff, um, whether it's internet connections, whether it's uh, you know video monitors to look at replays or thing or any type of uh, comfort in the booth. That's all fantastic. But the problem is, is that uh, is that the booth isn't in Edmonton. It's in it's uh, it's in Leduc instead of in in uh, Edmonton, <laughs> which is a city nearby. Um, New Jersey, the same thing. What I what I always say in New Jersey was. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm going to pick out a zip code because I can't remember it off the top of my head. But, you know, I'm like, welcome to uh, the Prudential Center in Newark, New Jersey, zip code 02941. And we're in the press box, zip code 02943. Uh, <laughs> you know, that we're, we're far away and it makes it harder for us to to do what we do. The one thing that saves New Jersey is that it's got a, it's a much steeper um, angle. So you're able to uh, at least have that, but you're far away. Whereas in Edmonton, unfortunately, the way they did the booth, we're not only up, but we're back. And so it oh. makes it a little bit more difficult uh, to to, uh, to, uh, to actually have everything at your at your availability to see it properly. But we're, we're able to manage. It's fine. It's nothing to complain about too much. But uh, but Little Caesars, that's right there with Montreal amongst the best yeah. press boxes in the league. I'd say my top three on the road right now are probably Little Caesars Arena, uh, the reconfigured Madison Square Garden because it used to be the worst. Now it's one of the best, <laughs> and and Montreal, which probably is the best. Um, speaking of just kind of how things have changed with new arenas and stuff, but what is kind of the biggest change you've had to to deal with in your broadcasting career? I know one of the things you talked about in the book was the Joe Thornton trade. You know, it being the time before internet, so you guys ha- had to try and figure out, or not really before internet, but um, before Twitter specifically so you you know you guys had to search and figure out you know who was traded what happened in the middle of a game so what other changes have um, impacted how you do your job well uh, that really has been a big change the fact that the news travels so fast but it also uh, comes with a caution because there are a lot of things that get tweeted out there or that are hearsay that aren't true and you have to really make sure that that you vet what you hear and even in that case, you know, the Internet was relatively new. I know that's hard for people today to believe, but it was <laughs> relatively new. And I remember we were in Dallas and uh, we were actually handed the starting lineup on the night of that trade. And it had Brad Stewart. It had Marco Sturm and it had Wayne Primo in it, the sheet that we got. But between the time that they made the copies of that sheet to bring up to the press box for us and the time that they actually came onto the ice for the game, it was only a couple of minutes the trade was finished, and Doug Wilson and Joe Will, the, the general manager and assistant general manager of the Sharks, were downstairs handling all of the logistics of this with the public relations people. And I had noticed that Ron Wilson, who was the coach of the team, was checking the lineup card that he handed to the official. And we've seen this happen, and it's happened actually since to the Sharks, where you, you write the wrong name in accidentally, or you have the, you know you write down somebody's number and it changed, Poor and you write down the wrong player's name. Right. Uh, Mirko Mueller, that's the example. Yeah. <laughs> and, and so he actually, you know, I was thinking about that. For those fans that don't know, Mirko Mueller actually took two shifts in a game that he never got credited for playing in. And yeah. that's because he had to leave because he wasn't on the lineup sheet. Very rare that it happens, but it does happen occasionally. So anyway, Ron Wilson is, is going over that sheet with the referees. And I made the comment on the air, oh, I've seen this happen before where you could get a penalty or you could have an ineligible player. So he just wants to make sure that's okay. Then they, the, the way that I always tell the story is, is at about 5.30, about an hour and a half before that, I was having dinner in the press room in Dallas. And in the press room, this is really unusual, 
uh, two players were in there having dinner. And it was Jim Fahey and Nico Dimitrakos. And uh, obviously the players have their lunch or their pregame meal about one o'clock in the afternoon. They don't eat until the game's over because you don't, you're not going to eat at five o'clock. It's just not efficient and certainly not uh, not something you want to clean up on the ice while you're when you start playing. <laughs> but but the but the, what happened was they were in there eating dinner. So we looked at each other and said, well, these guys aren't playing. And then they have the opening face off. Immediately, there's a line change for the Sharks. And I'm hearing myself say, Fahey passes the puck to Dimitrakos. I mean, I'm, it's coming out of my <laughs> mouth because I'm doing the game. And I said, wait a minute. I saw them in the, in the press room at 5 o'clock. Something's wrong. So then we started counting the bench, and we counted the players that were on the bench, and there was one short. So they only had 17 skaters dressed uh, because of what happened. So then we said, okay, who's missing? Who's missing? <laughs> Uh, Sturm, Primo, and Stewart. So we knew that there was definitely a trade because though with the odds of them getting food poisoning at, in the afternoon were probably pretty low. So my guess was there was a trade. And then uh, back to your point on the internet, again, internet relatively new, we started looking around on some of the websites and nobody had anything. And one of the PR guys from Dallas came over to me and he said, you might want to check this one. It's what's now Sportsnet, actually, in Canada. And he said, check this one because sometimes they have the information and it's pretty accurate and it's first. And so uh, on the radio, at least, we got the information that Joe Thornton was being traded to the Sharks. And again, this gets back to how do you vet this information in the age of Twitter? Well, I was I knew. We had nothing confirmed from the team, zero, because they were in the middle of getting everything done, making sure the trade was done and making sure it was filed for, with the league before Boston reneged on it. And and then uh, what, what happened was I, I was able to say, and I, I was very careful about it, I just basically said that Sportsnet was reporting that it was Joe Thornton. And if that's the case, this is the biggest trade in Sharks history. But I didn't, <laughs> I, I wasn't able to officially confirm it. I said, we'll wait for confirmation because that's something that we want to make sure that we do. We want to make sure that we're accurate in what we have. And a lot of times, you know, a rumor will come out or, or uh, even a, a, a notice of a trade will happen. And it, it, it turns out to not be true. So you have to be definitely on your guard in today's Twitter age for things like that to happen. And you have to, uh, in your own case, be very, very careful before you hit that that button that says send, uh, <laughs> because, you know, you, you want to make sure that you're, you're you vetted it. And you're, you haven't made an error. And it happens occasionally, but you want to make sure that at least the factual information is there. So that's really changed, certainly over the course of the years. But, you know, even real time statistics, we never used to get a sheet until the end of the first period as to what the official stats were. Now we're getting it in real time, which to me is an incredible thing. And, you know, in the, in the broadcasting area, all of the editing tools that we had, I used to use razor blades, grease pens, and tape uh, to actually edit, edit uh, some of this stuff together. And now you can do it on a, on a computer. To me, that's the greatest invention ever. <laughs> um, switch, switching gears a little bit, um, as somebody who doesn't live in San Jose and, and ha can't watch them on TV all the time and turn to the radio a lot, especially with the advent of smartphones where I could download uh, apps and stuff that would allow me to listen to yourself broadcast games. Um, when San Jose went to the finals, being with the team for so long, did you think of that call beforehand or had you practiced it beforehand or did you just let the moment kind of overcome you at that time? And same with Jonas Donskoy's winner in uh, first win for San Jose in the finals. Did you just let the moment dictate what you were going to say? Um, I, I think that the best way to do it uh, is to 
um, have a general idea of of what it means when it happens, but to not be totally controlled by that early plan. Um, every game has its own life. It's an organic living thing. And every broadcast is like that. It's an organic living thing. You want to make sure that uh, that the human quality of that, the how you feel at the moment comes out. And it's amazing how it just sort of happens in the right way. Um, you know, at the end of, uh, of that St. Louis series, it was so special to be able to call the end of that and to announce that the Sharks were going to the Stanley Cup final for the first time. And of course, Jonas Donskoy, uh, in in that game against the Penguins in overtime, these are special moments, and you have to just let it flow. You have to let it happen, and part of that comes from experience and doing a lot of games and living through a lot of it. But part of it also is the preparation that I talked about. The idea of gee, what what might I say, and what what might I focus on at that moment? But um, I think that if you if you write out a script and do it, it sounds that way, and yeah. it shouldn't. It never should. So. Uh, I, I say have bullet points, not a speech to read, but just some bullet points you can chat about. Perfect. Yeah, so I, I'm I'm one who listened to both of those calls live on, on the radio. So they've they've always been important to me as a fan because of the yeah, moment, but also, but also because I listen to you constantly. So um, and another thing I've noticed over the years is uh, you take great pride in saying foreign people's names. As correctly as possible, you, you've said Ovechkin earlier. Um, is, is that something that you developed over the years, or have you always? Unfortunately, I was two years old when you started broadcasting for San Jose, so I don't know if this has been a long-standing thing, or uh, as we've learned over time how to say uh, uh, foreigner names uh, more appropriately. Is that something you've just built into your broadcast? Boy, you just made me feel really old. You were two years old when I started. That's amazing. Uh, that's that's the way it is. But I'll tell you what, it's something that's always been part of my, um, shall we say, process. I think probably with a name like Rusinowski and hearing it mispronounced by people, that's probably part of it. Um, I have a special affinity and affection for those from Eastern Europe because that's where my family came from. And I used to listen to my grandfather uh, speak in uh, the Russian slash Ukrainian language, um, kind of a combination of both. And uh, that was always of interest to me. And I had an interest in language. My mom was an English teacher and she was very, um, very specific about pronunciation and trying to get the names right even even earlier. And so uh, that sort of evolved pretty naturally into my career doing this uh, with the San Jose Sharks and, and, and in hockey in general and in other sports that I've done. So um, to me, it's it, it's really important to show respect for that player. But I do understand that we do anglicize some of the names a little bit. And so we're always, uh, you know, crafting that tightrope walk kind of a balance between getting it exactly right and also uh, understanding that uh, that there's a sort of a standard that's developed in the game. And, um, you know, f the classic example, I suppose, right now on the team is Kevin LeBanc. Kevin LeBanc, his, his name is not really pronounced that way, but that's how we say it. What? And, that's right. And it, it goes back to when he was playing in junior and when he's in the United States. His a lot of people think that that's a French name, but it's <laughs> yeah, his, his, yeah, yeah, yeah. He is not French. No, his family comes from Slovakia. Oh, La Banche. <laughs> La, exactly, and and so that's how his father says his name. But if you look at his Twitter handle, it's straight to the bank. So I mean, it's it's it, it's over. It's it's not yeah. going to happen. And and so uh, that's just the way it is. And in fact, he doesn't even pronounce it that way anymore. So it just depends on what the player wants. I think my classic example of that was Tom Barrasso, who played for 
a couple of teams, Pittsburgh Penguins among others, and a great goaltender. And I remember walking up to him in Pittsburgh the first year or two that, that we were in the league, and I just said, I want to get it right. Do you say it Barrasso or Barrasso? And he said, I don't give up. <laughs> so, 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 and the guys, a lot of times they want to do it just so that uh, they'll mispronounce their names just because that's how the management of the team is pronouncing their name, and they don't want to, they don't want to make waves, you know? And mm-hmm. uh, so that happens sometimes, too. But, yeah, that uh, happened with like, um, Noah Road, right? He changed his pronunciation of it um, well, last it was always, year. It was always it was always Rod. As yeah. Opposed to Rod, you know, change, well, call me Rod. And yeah. Of course, now, 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 now Noah's not part of the organization these days. Uh, he's playing in Switzerland. But um, I, I, I like uh, I liked him. He's, he's a really good guy. So he, he's a unique one. He was part of the French part of Switzerland where, you know, we've had Mirko Mueller and Timo Meyer on the team. They're from the German part of Switzerland, fellow countrymen, but a slightly different part of their culture. And that's that's mm-hmm. one of the fascinating things we see. And, you know, in all this talk, by the way, um, the fact that you mentioned that you listen to the games from Toronto or Detroit uh, on on the Internet or using your, your smartphone, that's one of the biggest changes that we have, even in doing my job, because I listen to a lot of other radio broadcasters, too. I'm sitting at my desk at uh, either at my home office or at work and I can put the game on and I'm not distracted. I, I can actually do other different things. And that's one of the beauties about about the radio. It's a very personal medium. So, um, I, you know, you have that relationship. You're finding out all that information and uh, and you're getting a good call of the game. Um, not to say that I don't watch them on TV, too. Of course I do. But uh, but I think that that's a cool way to uh, uh, to sort of prepare for games and to listen to them and. Um, you know, when I was growing up, I grew up, as you as you mentioned, on the East Coast around New York City in Connecticut. And that's my home state, about an hour and a half from Manhattan and about two and a half hours from Boston. And I used to be able to listen to all those games on the radio because, you know, you would listen on the New York stations. You could pick up Boston stations. I could pick up Dan Kelly doing St. Louis Blues games at night if the weather was right. I could pick up uh, <laughs> Chicago and Pittsburgh. Buffalo. And I used to be able to. Uh, Buffalo. Buffalo was actually, yes, they were on WKBW and you could pick them up clear as a bell at night um, in, in, uh, on, you know, right on the radio. And that was really cool. And I got the Montreal Canadiens games, but not in English. In French? <laughs> in French. Yeah, the English station wasn't strong enough uh, to get there, but the, the French station is on AM 690. You could hear that everywhere at night because it was a clear channel radio station. And occasionally I would get Maple Leafs games there's oh. a station in Hamilton, Ontario, that's really <laughs> strong at night that I was able to pick up, but not often. For whatever reason, um, the the, uh, uh, the radio stations in Toronto didn't quite get to Connecticut at night. But it was amazing what you were able to pick up. And that was this. Uh, you didn't get that in California when I moved out here because I, I could get L.A. Kings games depending on the station they were on. But uh, and now they're, they're Internet only as of now. But. Uh, that uh, that was something that wasn't as possible living out west. And now with the internet, we're able to to recreate what I had as a youth, but do it for all 31 teams, which to me is a fantastic resource. Yeah, and I mean, I, I drove a lot of times. I'm originally from north of Toronto, so a lot of lot of hours in my cars uh, in my car listening to it. And somebody who is also from Eastern uh, Europe and has a Ukrainian last name, I, I appreciate the pronunciation uh aspect of your broadcasting greatly i appreciate that it's it's uh, it's something that i i find important and i think that the players appreciate it and uh, it, it makes it makes it interesting and fun 
I think we can wrap this up with one, just one last question. Um, we started kind of at the end of your book, but at the beginning of your book is a foreword by Joe Pavelski. And I'll be honest, when I first got a copy of your book, I texted Kyle just about the foreword because it made me really emotional, I think, as a Sharks fan um, to hear from from Pavelski and and the impact of the organization because it's something that that we're told a lot, right? That San Jose is a city that hockey players want to be in. And, you know, that the organization and the city and, and the community are are so important to them. And and hearing Joe, well, reading, I guess, Joe, um, Joe's words about it um, really struck a chord. Was there anything about that that really stuck out to you? Um, and, like, was why was it so important to have Joe Pavelski write that forward? Well, first of all, he's one of the iconic figures in the history of the team, and he's somebody that's grown up with the club and been drafted by the team, and nobody expected that he was even going to make it to the NHL. And he's been one of the better goal scorers in the game these last number of years that he's been in the league. You know, he was too small, he was too slow, he was too this, he was too that, and yet the organization believed in him. And so um, it was a, a privilege and an honor to have him write the forward as the captain of the team. But I think everything that he talked about in that is really true about San Jose being a special place. Uh, I I think it's the greatest place to live in the world, Um, but I'm biased, I suppose. (laughs) But but I think it's a wonderful place to live. I think it's great for families. Um, I think that the the fans love the team. They're they're very patriotic about San Jose, which is part of it. Um, And and in the culture of the Bay Area, even that's important because we have two other cities, Oakland and San Francisco, that have great histories of their own. Um, And yet this is sort of the center of the population of the Bay Area. So uh, I I think that that all of those things were were great to hear from Joe Pavelski about how he felt about the organization, not only nurturing his career, encouraging him, but giving him the tools that he needed to succeed. And that's really what it's all about, isn't it? To, To represent the cities that we're from. And when we go out on the road, we're always waving the banner for San Jose. We're very proud of it. And I think that that's part of what Joe was doing in that forward, too, to not only talk about his career and about all the people, but about the organization and the focus that we have and and remembering that responsibility that we have. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for coming on. We we really appreciate it. Like, this is so cool to get such a inside look at you know the organization and and the team and everything and um people can of course get that with your book um if you want to you know plug that real quick (laughs) sure the book is if these walls could talk uh, san jose sharks which is part of a series from triumph books it's co-written by ross McEwen and me and i really enjoyed writing it i really enjoyed uh, participating in that whole project you can go uh, to bookstores i I know i I got a a note from somebody in edmonton who picked it up at a bookstore so it is available in bookstores uh, wherever books are sold but you can always go to amazon and order it yourself and um, we have some book signings going on if if i see any of you out there be happy to sign the book for you um it's it's been a real great fun uh, project to be in but it's a real privilege too to, to represent our team and it makes me feel really good that we were able to put it together and I just want to say thank you, Dan, as well. Uh, as somebody who thinks, when they think of the Sharks, you're one of the first names that uh, comes to mind for always being there on my late night drives and being the voice of hockey for me personally. I just wanted to say thank you. This is a, uh, a great time, and I uh, love talking to you. That's a real privilege to hear you say that, and thanks to both of you for uh, doing the job that you're doing on this podcast and spreading the gospel of hockey and the San Jose Sharks <laughs> out to the world. <laughs> thanks, right. Dan. Thanks, Dan. You bet.
You were just listening to our interview with Sharks Radio broadcaster Dan Rusinowski about his new book, If These Walls Could Talk, San Jose Sharks. If you want to pick up a copy of If These Walls Could Talk, you can visit triumphbooks.com slash wallssharks. That's W-A-L-L-S sharks. Again, that website is triumphbooks.com slash wallssharks. If you use the coupon code FEARTHEFIN, all one word, you can get a 30% discount off your order. That's Fear the Fin for 30% off. This offer is valid through February 1st, 2019. So go ahead and pick up a copy of If These Wells Could Talk, San Jose Sharks. Do it. Treat yourself. Hey guys, this is C popping in real quick to let you know that we recorded the second half after the Dan Rusinowski interview and I had approximately 16 microphones plugged into my laptop and recorded with the wrong one. <laughs> so um, my audio sounds like garbage. I'm sorry for that. <laughs> um, also, just quick note, I know this is going to say it's episode 12. Um, episode 11 was supposed to go up last week. We did record one. Has not gotten edited yet. That's my bad as well. So um, sorry about the audio quality on this one for the rest of the episode. And two... Um, that episode is going to come up out of order. My goal is to have that up tomorrow. So sorry, guys. My bad. So that was the whole interview. Um, we're going to go ahead and do just a little bit of our regular episode. So what's been going on with the sharks, Kyle? Uh, you know, (laughs) if you, if you want, if you want a good, what's going on with the sharks, go back and listen to any episode from now, uh, and any of the previous five that we've recorded. (laughs) Sharks, sharks were good, and then they were bad, and then the line was very confusing. Yeah, uh, yeah, it's rough. I think Eric had a a quick bites or something that the title was like something about doing more of the same and expecting different results, and I think that's that's pretty well like central, I guess, to this, where it's just like they keep doing the same things and nothing's really changing except that they won two games this week, like. I don't know. It's just weird because after eight games, they panicked. And now right. after another 20, they haven't panicked or gone back. It's just so weird that after eight games of acclimation, they did they, they panicked and switched. And then haven't like tried to re-switch it back up. Like Things aren't working. Maybe try going back to what was working. You just weren't getting wins. It's, it's very confusing. And like it seems on any given night, you're getting Suo scratched and rattle in. Like What, what does that do? <laughs> Right. Well, and then Rattle is on the third line, scores his first goal, so we're probably never seeing Auntie Suomala again. <laughs> oh, it's so confusing. It is, and it, it's it's frustrating. Like, it's, it's good that he got his first goal, and it's good that he's been good. I, I don't think he's been better than Suomala. I mean, it's such no. a small sample size anyway, but, you know, he's 28 years old. It's not like he's getting better at this point. And I, I, I just don't know. The whole thing's baffling. We've talked about it a lot, and it's it's just frustrating. <laughs> but, like, I just don't know what Pete DeBoer's doing. It doesn't make sense to me. I don't get it. Yeah, I, I think w- coming out of the, the Rusinowski interview, too, I don't think we're going to spend too much time talking about the same thing that we've been. We don't want to, uh, what is it, not beat a, feed, a, feed a fed horse here. <laughs> um, <laughs> so Thanks, it's just Yeah, thanks. Um so Rattle's goal was actually really nice. He yeah. uh he wheeled around the back of the net and put it put it in the backhand. It was pretty cool to see him get his first NHL goal and I mean it's exciting and stuff. We're just kind of frustrated that 
I would love to see Rattle in the lineup, but also Suomela in the lineup at the same time, which Ken had, and it doesn't make any sense. And then Simek seems to be the guy that's going to be on defense. I, I don't know if Joachim Ryan is going to last. Yeah, yeah, that's definitely been weird too. And that's the thing is that, like, it's not, it's never a condemnation of like Radim Simek or or Rattle because they've both been good. Like, it isn't a situation like yeah. Gambrell where clearly he's struggling at the NHL level and shouldn't be in there. They've been good. The problem is that they are not the worst person at their position. Um, or the person that they're replacing, rather, is not the worst person at their position. So that's where the frustration comes in because you're not, he's just like Pete DeBoer is not playing his best players and the team is struggling to get wins. And those two things combined make for just an awful frustrating time as a fan. Yeah. It, it's, it's just super frustrating. I think we've kind of summed that up repeatedly. It's just frustrating because this team should be better and the results aren't there. And we want Eric Carlson to resign and, it's just annoying that you're seeing like Suo out, Rattle in, and then Rattle stays in. But then Rattle, like, would it sh- shock you that if Rattle gets scratched next game? No, even though he just scored and should be in. Like, I like Rattle and I like Simek. I just am confused as to why they're coming in and out as opposed to other players. And it's just annoying. That's all. And it's kind of, it's still early, but at the same time, it's almost January. Yeah. Uh, the Sharks did make a change, uh, a coaching change, <laughs> <laughs> sort of. They just kind of moved people around, right? I don't have it pulled up, actually, but do you remember who got... Yeah, it's... Spot uh got moved to defensemen, correct? Uh, yeah, Dave Barr moved down to the forwards, or Spot moved to the forwards, Dave Barr went to the defense, one of the two, and then Rob Zettler went upstairs. I don't know, it was very confusing. Um, it's been beat to death. Everybody knows the moves. It's it's funny because it happened and everybody's like, yeah, we're just reshuffling, getting new points of view. And then all these articles and quotes came out where it's like, yeah, we've never seen this happen before. <laughs> right. Yeah. And that was uh, right after the Montreal game, correct? Before, I think. I thought it was right after. It was around the Montreal time. Like, yeah. It, it, it happened I, right before, right after. Uh, and... That, like, that just seems like someone who knows that his position is maybe in question. <laughs> yeah. And and so trying to protect yourself to, by, by moving other pieces to either spark some change or maybe shift blame if it comes down to that. But yeah, it just, it kind of seems, I kind of agree. It seems like a hot seat move. Like, it, it seems like Wilson and... DeBoer had met uh, with all these infamous meetings. There was a meeting that didn't get reported, and it was probably Wilson DeBoer. And it probably didn't go well if this is the happening, because I... And you can look up the articles of the quotes where people are like, I don't remember this happening, where you shuffle all of their positions and stuff, which is quite weird. Usually you get a firing, but it kind of seems like... it. it, Genuinely, it could just be like they wanted to actually see new eyes at new stuff, but it just kind of in light of everything else, seemed like a shuffling of the chairs to stave off the vultures. I don't know. It just, it was just very odd and oddly timed is a thing too. Right. And, you know, on one hand, you can argue that there have been results in that San Jose did win against Carolina and they won against um, Arizona. Arizona. But, but watching those games, I mean, the Carolina game was obviously, a little bit of a blowout for Carolina, but 
Arizona, I mean, I mean, they almost blew that lead. The 5-3, I think, is a little misleading, in part that the Sharks were very good for the beginning of the game, and then they almost let Arizona take that game back from them. And and then the game in Dallas, obviously, was just a hot mess. <laughs> but <laughs> to, to be nice. <laughs> so it's, it's frustrating, because it's like, yes, they, they have won two of the three games they had this week, and and after making that change but it could have always gone better like they you know it should never have gotten as close as it did yeah and and i mean they did just play five straight games in five different time zones right uh, which is strange they just kept changing times and so it's like it's it's i don't know i i don't want to keep saying like yeah we, it's the same thing but like it's the same thing and now you're just polishing it up and saying look we changed something and it just is they're not changing the things that matter. They're changing the things that don't matter, and it's just frustrating. Exactly. Let's go on to a messier organization. <laughs> do, do a little sense check here. They had a fun <laughs> little bit of uh, news, I guess. Jonathan Druin um, of the Montreal Canadiens, which I always forget he's a hab now. Like, I don't know. That team, just everyone on that team, I'm always like, oh, yeah, he plays for them now. Like... I, I, I could not tell you any of the their roster, but uh, Jonathan Druin in a, I believe this is a post game. Yep. Um, <laughs> slips up, <laughs> and I'm just going to insert it here. Definitely. Uh, when you play teams, you know, three, four times, three, four times almost in a week and a couple of days. So um, we're not going to be a battle. We, we hate those guys like they hate each other. Like they, hate, they hate us. And, and <laughs> so he said, we hate those guys. Like, they hate each other. <laughs> and then corrects himself to say, like, they hate us. <laughs> it was very... That was a Freudian slip if I ever saw one. <laughs> <laughs> it's so good. And, like, obviously, like, that's an accident. You know, like, you, you're just talking. And, like, I've I've made worse verbal mistakes. <laughs> yeah. But it's just so funny. Like, it's so funny because they do right and everything, everything we've seen this season is just like he said that and it's like yeah i could buy it like it, yeah. if he said if he said that about san jose you'd be like i don't think that's true whatever but like it's ottawa you're like ah, i can right. i can see that right yeah it's yeah like you said i mean any other team you say that and it's like eh, it's clearly just something he slipped up and said but because it's the senators and they're such a mess and, you know, there have been those rumors of, like, all the issues in the locker room or whatever. <laughs> it's just so funny. <laughs> I'm glad uh, he said it in English. And it, it it's probably it's genuinely just a mistake, especially because he is French. He's, French is his first language. Right. So it's just, it's just super funny that he, uh, he said that in, in English, too. So everybody got to got to enjoy it. Yeah, there was something else this week. Oh, there was the video of Thomas Shabbat, which you didn't understand, but I think it's so funny. <laughs> yeah, I didn't get it right away. I don't know why I didn't get it, but uh, <laughs> I just like kind of stupid. I'll link it stupid. in the post, but uh, yeah, it's funny. It's just, I love stuff like that. Like he's sitting there mouthing the words to, I want to dance with somebody as they're skating out for warm-ups and the sends um social media person or video team or whoever but they tweeted a video with that video spliced together with the music video and then it was an overtime winner correct yep yeah so (laughs) it's cute 
it's funny. I like when, you know, players do stuff with personality and teams actually take advantage of that. So that was fun. It kind of made me think of, and this is stupid because it wasn't actually like, well, I don't know if what he was doing, but it's that um, vine that Pete Blackburn made of Milan Lucic, like nodding his head. And I don't know if he was doing that to the music that was playing in the arena, but Pete Blackburn put a Taylor Swift song. (laughs) (laughs) It was style. So it looked like he was bopping his head to style. It was really funny, but yeah, that's just Mitch Marner. Thing. Mitch Marner got caught. I think this year, or last year, where he's sitting on the bench and he was he was mouthing, clearly singing to the music too. I I love it too. I think it's hilarious, especially for a sport that grinds the personality out of every person. Right. Um, it's really funny when you see, especially young guys who like are clearly just having fun. It's I, I love that you pointed out that he's mouthing the words because I just did not get that video. And then when I see <laughs> it, when I saw him mouthing the words, I was like, oh, this is amazing. Right, and it like. You know, when I'm at work, I'm at my job, there's music playing, and we constantly, like, me and my coworkers and stuff, will walk past each other and we'll both be, like, singing the song and not realize it. <laughs> so, like, I don't know, it just makes me think of that. Like, it makes, it's a very, like, human element. I think yeah. That's, that's really cool. Shout out, shout out to Craig, uh, the Sens social media guy who put that video together. Yeah, that was awesome. <laughs> it's great, great work. Dude, big, big ups on that. All right. Uh, one last thing with the Senators, though, is that, like, everyone's injured. <laughs> oh, yeah. They're, oh, they're this team who's horrible defensively, and it, it, it's going to get worse. <laughs> yeah. They lost Matt Duchesne, Bobby Douche Ryan. Daddy. Douche Daddy. <laughs> um, Bobby Ryan, Dylan DeMello is now out with an upper body injury. Um, who else did I say earlier? Gosh, I'm forgetting one of them. I don't know. It's like The Walking Dead. Yeah, <laughs> Yaros. They were Christian Yaros. So I don't know what they're gonna do. I mean, like that's it, it sucks entire... because Duchene is over a point a game too. <laughs> right? Yeah, I, it's rough. It's it's not gonna go well. It's gonna get worse before it gets better. No, and I mean this was a team that was really heavily relying on luck as it was. <laughs> yeah. And so to have their actual talented guys out of the lineup is gonna be. Real rough. Uh, Tom Payat did not have any points this week. I don't believe. So just come on, Tom. Real... We need. We're it's it's Tom Goldwatch now. <laughs> yeah. Real quick, uh, Tom Payat heat check still at the two, <laughs> two assists. And uh, well, he's gonna get more playing 14. time now. <laughs> oh God, he's gonna get more playing time now. Uh, they, they just oh, have yeah. no, They literally don't have oh, bodies. He's gonna, get, he's gonna get back on that top line. <laughs> oh. Uh, terrible poor poor guy so the sharks have three games coming up this week or at least by the next time we record so they're at home for two um against new jersey on monday and then on thursday against dallas and then sunday they'll be in chicago that's a big that's kind of nice monday thursday sunday yes there are two days between all of those games so that's nice yeah that's nice for them to and i mean it's it's new jersey who's the middle team dallas new jersey dallas and chicago so mm-hmm. new jersey sucks chicago is god awful but the one thing i do want to say in chicago's defense i will gladly trade three cups for Right. whatever and, issues well, they're going yeah. through now <laughs> i will sell my soul for those three cups so there, there's no issues there i mean stan bowman probably could have done a better job not handing out lifelong contracts to brent seabrook and others but i mean 
three cups is three cups. So right, right, um, right. they're they're in hell, but it's probably worth it. Um, but they're still bad. And then Dallas is Dallas is Dallas. They have they're on their defenseman number twelve, thirteen, and fourteen. And yeah, <laughs> I don't know. Jamie Ben's still not going down anywhere. So I don't know. It's just what do you think? I think two points. <laughs> wow. Why you're so down on the sharks? Listen, <laughs> it's almost like you have an agenda. I lost all my faith in Pete DeBoer, and I'm gonna say they beat uh, New Jersey. <laughs> oh, I, I think they get six. Yeah. I, th- I think they beat New Jersey. I think they get revenge for Dallas, and then uh, I think Chicago is just absolutely just a moribund franchise right now. So. I think I think it's a cool six. Everybody, we're gonna get the think pieces. The sharks are back. Watch out, NHL! Here come the sharks. I don't know. I pick your favorite cliche. <laughs> it's coming to you. All right, all right. Aaron Dell watch. Uh, once. I feel. Yeah. I feel like. I feel like the narrative is that Jones is back in back on his bullshit, and so he's gonna get more playing time, even though we know that he should be getting less to save him and rest. Right. But I think I think we see Dell once, and I think it's against New Jersey. Yeah, I'm gonna say once, and I think it's against Chicago. And yeah. I think because Chicago, that's an away game, and then there's a day off, and then in Minnesota, and then a day off, and then um, at home against Winnipeg, a day off against LA, um, and then that's a back to back. I just think that uh, they'll probably do Dell against Chicago, and then jones for three games and then do dell again in the second half of the back-to-back against arizona yeah i get it that's probably better that's ideal i hope they do what you said uh i just have a feeling that they're gonna give dell this game and then it's an out of conference too so i'm thinking yeah pete seems to be okay with starting dell in those so i I think it's new jersey but i would prefer it to be the smart schedule like you have them on all right so bold prediction uh this is hard because I don't know what kind of sharks are going to show up. So, <laughs> like, I don't know. I don't know what's, what's happening. I think. Do you have one? I don't. Off the top of my head, I got to think of something. I can't really yeah. spin the wheel with um with scratches. I feel like because yeah, I think we've got out of the the scratch the scratch phase. Yeah, so it's just just it's the really two just, guys. Yeah, it's Suamella and um and Joachim Ryan, and that's really about it. So. Hmm. I think this week we're gonna uh, maybe we'll see someone called up that Ooh. that has not been called up yet. So Who would that be though? Uh, Peron. Oh, Frankie. Yeah, we'll go a little off the board here, but he's been good for the Cuda. The Cuda, by the way, number one in the AHL. So that's yes, they're good. they're very good. Yeah. Um, my prediction is that. Uh, San Jose scores five goals in every game. Damn. <laughs> That's a lot more scoring than they've been doing. I'm telling you, the think pieces are on the presses right now. Right, <laughs> it's right. coming. Five goals here, in here, every here come game. the Sharks. Five goals in every game. You know how many games they've scored five goals in? Well, the most recent one. Well, there's been two so far in December. and There's a couple more. None. In yep, none in November. Oh wow! And I know there's at least one in October. Hold on. Yeah, didn't they beat the snot out of somebody? Yeah, they beat Philly eight two. Philly, uh, <laughs> Philly, and then Buffalo and Nashville. So, so three. So that's five. 
they're going to almost triple their total. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, so, okay. But, they, yeah, they score five goals in each game. They just I – just, I don't respect uh, Chicago or New Jersey. And, really, I don't respect Dallas, but at least they're confident. So uh, five, five goals in each game. Let's do it. Bring it home, all right. guys. All right. All right. I guess that's that's really it. That's all we got this week. Is there anything else you you wanted to cover? We should give a proper shout out to the CUDA for being the best team in yeah, the NHL. Oh my god! I think they just won I, tonight too. I'm pretty sure because yeah, it was three nothing after three minutes. Yeah. So I hope they didn't pull a the adult sharks and blow that lead. But oh nope, the game's still going. They are up four nothing. Yeah. At the end of the second period, so... I know we don't cover the CUDA as much as the Sharks, partly because we're we're more NHL people, and and then we don't really have time to watch the AHL and the NHL, so we kind of picked our side, which is fine. It is what it is. We have good people covering the the CUDA and Brian, Joe, and and Lachlan, but uh, yeah, goddamn, they are very good, and it's not even with a team with, like, Shimolevsky or Chekovich or Blickfield or... They still have guys coming after the season. Right, and it's a lot of new faces and, and like, inexperienced players as well. People who, are, like, are either in their first professional year or second professional year and uh, and then people who are just new to the organization. So it's it's really cool that they've been able to be so successful. Yeah, it's 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 fun. It's like there's no A prospects there, but there's <laughs> some Bs that are uh, that are uh, holding it down. And it's it would be kind of cool to see the Barracuda win the uh, what is it, the Calder Memorial? Yeah, no, that's Canada. Yeah, it's yeah, the it's the Calder Trophy. Tr- yeah, trophy. Yeah, Calder so. Cup. Calder Cup. It would be it would be kind of cool to see them win the Calder Cup, especially now being in San Jose and it's fans can actually go rather than in Wooster when maybe it wasn't diehard Sharks fans. So uh, right. keep an eye on them. Pull up the uh, pull up the AHL schedule every once in a while. It's, it's fun. Yeah, and you got to think, too, that the last time that the Barracuda were so successful was 2017 when they had Timo Meyer and Kevin LeBanc and Ryan Carpenter was really good that year. and And so, like... It's just crazy that there are so many players right now that, like, when we're thinking of people to call up, we can't really think of, like, a name off the top of our heads. And granted, that is also just from us not having as much exposure to the Barracuda. But um, in general, you know, fans, like, for the last couple years, we've known, like, okay, we've got these guys that might be ready to make their, their NHL jump and... And so it's it's just so cool. Like I, I I think it's awesome that the Barracuda are that successful when it's so so fresh and new and um, young. They're like the youngest team in the league too. It's like crazy. <laughs> yeah, just, yeah. It's it's cool too because they're not doing it. I think you said that they're, the last time they were successful was 2017. That was the year that Timo and LeBanc and there might have been one other person. Carpenter, uh, maybe or, Carpenter or O'Regan, maybe. Um, I think even Gaudreau, where they Gaudreau would was still. Maybe, but court. they would, yeah, they would get called up and they would play a Sharks game and then they would get sent down and go play a Barracuda game the next day and then get called up the next day yeah. and have to fly on the road trip for like three days. Then they would get sent home, play a game. So they ended up playing like 110 games or something stupid like that because they kept playing for both teams. Yeah, yeah, definitely. It's it's crazy, but the kids are doing good. So I'm, I'm very proud. I'm a proud mother to all of them. <laughs> All, all of your fake children. <laughs> My large adult children. Um, <laughs> all right. So we'll get some thank yous out of the way here. Um, thank you to Molly Mirakami for doing our artwork. She's amazing. You can check her out at mollymirakami.com. 
Um, as always, that's linked in the blog post, or you can find her on Twitter at HeyMalls, that's M-O-L-L-S. Um, thank you to the Honey Wilders for letting us use their song Idlewild as our intro and outro. You can find them on Spotify and iTunes if you want to give them a listen. Um, or you can check out their Facebook page if you are in the Bay Area and maybe want to go see them play. They're, they're pretty cool dudes. We want to give a quick shout out to um, a couple new podcasts coming up. I will have a new podcast that I believe the trailer for it. The trailer. It's like a little stinger that's dropping. We live in a trailer content world. It's a trailer. I guess. Um, that will be coming out this week. So you can check that out. It's called Backseat Bench Brawl. And I'm going to have two fans of rival teams come together and tell me why they hate each other. It's going to be fun. Um, and then we added a new podcast to Fear the Fin called the Van Jose Podcast. Uh, their first episode as part of our little collection here uh, went up last week. Uh, that's with Lock the previously mentioned uh, Lachlan <laughs> Irvine, who is um, our Barracuda writer, and his friend Nora Scully. So you can check that out. They kind of cover more broad league things than we do here. So um, that'll be up on Fear the Fin. You can find us on Anchor, uh, as well as all of your favorite podcast apps, such as iTunes, Google Play, SoundCloud, Stitcher. I'm not sure if we're on Spotify yet, and I know I've said that for like six weeks straight, but I just haven't looked, to be honest. Um, you can also find us on Twitter at BSNTL. And if you want to send us some questions, we haven't gotten to questions in a couple weeks, but we'll get back to that. But questions, topics, any of that, you can email us um, at fearthefin at gmail.com. You can find Kyle on Twitter at Kyle Demetrius. You can find C on Twitter at Now You See Me, and it's spelled like their name, S-I-E. Uh, you can find Dan Ruzanowski on Twitter at Dan Ruzanowski, uh, R-U-S-A-N. O-W-S-K-Y uh, is how you spell his last name. You probably already follow him anyway, but check him out. He's the best. Yeah, and seriously, a huge thank you to Dan for coming on today. We had a great, great time talking to him. Just super fun. And you can get his book at triumphbooks.com slash sharks. And again, if you use that coupon code FEARTHEFIN, you'll get 30% off. That's not a bad deal. I didn't, yeah, it's a good deal. And I didn't fangirl too hard over my favorite <laughs> Uh, announcer I, I held it in check but uh, uh it was awesome and I th thank you dan again yes seriously very cool experience for us um so i think that's gonna do it for us once again this has been blood sweat and teal i'm c i still kyle <laughs> and eric carlson is a san jose shark. <laughs>